Okay. Okay, tell everyone. Due to the fact that the uh, reading of the Torah is divided always into parshias, and that uh, the parshias you have almost a week to recover, so uh, many times we lose the flow of uh, the narrative of the Torah. <clears throat> Uh, well, the parshias are uh, of uh, Second Temple origin. And uh, in Eretz Israel, they finish the Torah every three years. In other words, they didn't have a seal like Simcha Torah every year. So the parishes were much smaller. Every parish that we have uh, were really three parishes. In Bovel, where uh, the main, the largest Jewish community was, and in Mitzrayim as well, uh, the custom arose, which is our custom that we finish the Torah every year and that the Torah is divided into parshas that will allow us to complete the Torah every year by the end of Sukkot. When that happens, however, uh, as I mentioned, there's a certain loss of flow of narrative and we tend to see each parsha individually. And that especially is true for rabbis that are uh, obligated somehow to say something original every year on the same parsha. That's really an overstatement because that assumes that the people remember what you said last year. So when we talk about the Parsha of Shlach, so naturally the concentration is on the story of the Miraglim, of the spies. That's the main story in the Parsha. And the Parsha begins, So we have no preface to this. It's just like a both out of the blue. God says, send spies. Next week, God willing, we'll read the parish of Korach. Vayikach Korach ben Yitzhak ben Kohos ben Levi v'dosan v'aviram and they make a rebellion against Moshe. So again, because of the way we deal with the parshas it's like it's a separate matter all of a sudden Korach is making a rebellion 
However, one of the great lessons in studying Chumash is to be able to see the Chamisha Chumshe Torah as a whole, as one continuous story, so to speak, one continuous lesson. And therefore, everything has a source and everything has a conclusion. And that, so to speak, there are no uh, sudden, unexpected events that occurred, but it's all part of a godly pattern of history that allows us to see things in a perspective. So, for instance, at the end of Chumash Breshis, Yosef is buried in Mitzrayim. It's all over. That's that the Chumash Breshis. Yet, uh, the fact that the uh, Jewish people fall into slavery. So the Torah itself says, Whether it means that he really didn't know or that he made up that he didn't know. But the whole previous story is blocked out. There never was a famine. There never was anybody that saved Egypt. It's a new story. And for the Jewish people as well. They're in Egypt now centuries. And they prosper in Egypt. According to the Medrash, the first 180 years in Egypt... You know, it was like San Diego. It was wonderful. So they are all in in good shape. And they don't know the story of Yosef. And they don't know the Kim Pokod Yivkod Eschem. They don't know all of that. It's not, it's not in their uh, contemplation. And therefore, according to the Medrash, uh, a vast amount of Jewish people never leave Egypt, even when Moshe comes and redeems them. With all the plagues and everything, they're not going. People have a natural hesitancy to leave what is familiar. And the older we become, the stronger that tendency is. So uh, Moshe says, we're going to go out of Egypt. Moshe, what are you talking about? We're 180 years. You know, my Zeta's buried here, my Elter Zeta. Where are we going? 
Oh, so Egypt is not what it once was. Yeah, we have to admit that. Then there are economic problems, and then there are social problems, and then we become persecuted. But even when we're persecuted, people don't leave. It's one of the uh, phenomena of human nature. Still are a few hundred thousand Jews in the in the former Soviet Union. Fifty thousand Jews in the Ukraine. Ten thousand Jews in Poland. People find it very hard to leave. And therefore, when we look at the Parsha of the Maraglin, uh, we have to see it with a certain backdrop. Now, the Malbim and other Meforshim, uh, also, Meir uh, Simcha, and other uh, later Meforshim, uh, have attempted somehow to give us an overview not to see things only individually. So this Parsha really begins in Baaloscha. There never would have Parsha of Shlach if it would have not have been for what happened in Baaloscha. But Baaloscha was last week. We heard that sermon already. And therefore there's a tendency somehow not to put it together, not to complain, not to see the, the long narrative. Uh, there was a great American historian by the name of Shelby Foote. He was from Mississippi little town in Mississippi, and he wrote a three-volume history of the American Civil War from the perspective of the South, because most of the Civil War, most of the time, the winner is who writes history. And uh, the South lost. It's a magnificent uh, work. It's over a million words. It has uh, humor and pathos and everything in it. So I heard an interview with him. He's no longer alive. I heard an interview with him. And uh, he was asked what got him started on doing such a monumental thing. He had written a few novels before and had some success as an author. And he was not a professor of history. And he said, uh, growing up in Mississippi, he had a grandfather that yet was a soldier in the Civil War. He said for the first time in his life, he wanted to know what did his grandfather think. (laughs) 
How did his grandfather think that the south was going to overwhelm the north? It did not have the industrial capacity. It did not have the population. It had no international recognition. It was morally wrong because of slavery. Uh, in rabbinic terms, he would say, Lachatchila my Kosova. What did he think originally? And he said that got him all of a sudden, and he thought, so he begins his book in 1830, though the war doesn't begin till 1861. Because you have to have the preface. What do they think? Now, Lahavda, Lelafavdolos, the same thing. What did the Moraglim think? I mean, every day it's raining mud. Rashi points out that uh, Miriam was punished for saying Lashon Ora against her brother Moshe. She gave him what we like to call constructive criticism. Rashi says, quoting again the Medrash, that they saw what happened to Miriam, but it didn't register to them. So they're going to talk Lashon Ro against Eretz Yisrael. So the story begins in Balotcho. In Balotcho it begins with a story with Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law. Moshe says to him, We're traveling, we're going to Eretz Israel. Come on, we got a ticket for you on El Al. Business class, come. And not only that, we need you. For you're going to be our advisors, you're going to be our eyes. You see it from a different perspective. We need you. And you give us stature in the world. He says, no, I'm not going. Lo, kim elami I'm going home. It's been nice, a nice visit. You know, you come to see the children, the grandchildren, and then you go home. So there is a minute crack already in, Eretz, in the vision of Eretz's soil by the Jewish people. His own father-in-law doesn't want to go. He can't convince his own family. Moshe will say later in the Chumash Dvarim, he'll quote them, what are we doing going, you know? What? So that's one the Torah indicates the cloud on the horizon. 
Eretz Yisrael is built on enthusiasm. It's not built on did he have it. I heard that from the point of view a long time ago. He said the Medina was created by people who were enthusiastic about it. He said it absorbed millions of refugees who had no choice but to come. He said those refugees, necessary as they were and are, can never build a state because there's no enthusiasm in being a refugee. So, the next piece in the Torah is that uh, all of a sudden the people are dissatisfied. They're not happy. They're dissatisfied. Uh, It's very hard to be satisfied. That's really what Chazal meant. Uh, who is the wealthiest of people? Someone who is satisfied. Most wealthy people are not satisfied. Most human beings are not satisfied. Chazal say it. Nishi Yeshlomona wrote some asayim. We were always chasing the mechanical rabbit. Now, if you're not satisfied, then nothing in life is really good for you. You're disappointed in your family, you're disappointed in society, you're disappointed in the everything. You just, you know, <laughs> Menachem Begin had a great quip that he said that the only government in the land of Israel that Haaretz approved of was the British mandate. The press is built to make us sad. The only news that's fit to print is bad news. Scandal. So the people are dissatisfied. When you're dissatisfied, she says, you look for trouble. Even if there's no trouble there. So they have plenty to eat, and they have all this cattle. They can have steak three times a day. And they say, who's going to give us meat? What do you mean you got meat? No, that's our meat. Who's going to give us meat? And then they say, and there's no variety in the food. Your food is uh, every day, mon, mon, mon. 
Namshenu kotsu belechem aklonkel, you know. So that's what people are looking for. I remember when I was in the yeshiva a long, long time ago. So uh, the yeshiva served lunch. This was in the 1940s. and To put it mildly, the yeshiva didn't have money. So there was a Jew in Chicago that donated eggs to the yeshiva every day. There was another Jew in Chicago that donated bread every day. There was a third Jew that donated uh, jello, uh, pudding every day. So that was lunch every day. Every day was bread, egg salad, jello. So uh, after uh, about six months of this, uh, some of the boys started to complain. They complained to the cook. The poor lady, I mean, she could only make what they gave her to make, to make, right? They gave her a hard time. So I remember uh, the Reverend Mendel Kaplan, Zechot Tzadik Levracha, called us a geniuses in, and he said, never in your life should you complain about food. He said, if you complain to the cook now, you'll complain to your wife later. That's not good for a marriage. You should never complain. (coughs) So he said, you know, you don't like the menu? So he said the menu is yellow egg salad and red jello. So ask her to make red egg salad and yellow jello. You'll have variety. <laughs> that was a great lesson. It drained a lot a lot of the a lot of the problems out of us. So the Jewish people complained, oh, so it's no good. No, oh, it's no good. No good. No good is, nothing is going to be good now. Then, you have the further incident that Miriam and Aaron criticized Moshe about his domestic life. Should never mix into anyone else's domestic life. It's not your business. Again, constructive criticism is destructive.
I was I was taught by my father and grandfather uh, not to give advice easily. People come to, to you know for advice on domestic matters. Be very careful. Very, very careful. So that is the preface to Shlach. Now he's going to send. So that explains why does Moshe send? Rabbi Shalom told him Eretz Israel is good. Why did he? Why? Why risk this thing? Because Moshe feels the undercurrent that has gone before. He feels that Yisrael weakened it. The Misonanim weakened it. Aaron and Miriam weakened it. So he figures, we'll give it one good blow now and it'll be strong and we'll all march together. But it was too late. They already were weakened. To a certain extent, they wanted a bad report. Because that would confirm why they had an excuse not to go. So, uh, you know, there are a hundred excuses, all of which are valid. Why not to do something? That's what Chazal called the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. The evil inclination always sees what can't be done, what cannot be accomplished, what's too difficult. Giants in the land, fortresses, the fruit is too big. Well, when that happens, so then uh, that generation is, can't recover from that because that is a mindset of a generation. And therefore, this parsha of Shlach has to be seen in that perspective part of this picture. Next week in Korach it will be the extension of Shlach. Why Moshe? We want democracy. I'm also a Levi. We're also entitled so all of this is one flow. It's one pattern. It's the Dora Midbar. The Chazal say that the generation of the desert was the potentially the wisest and greatest generation that ever existed. It's the generation that was Makabal the Torah. 
generation said, Naseh v'nishma. But because its potential was to be so great, the danger of falling was also very great. And they therefore suffered from that. We say it in Tehillim, Arboim Shona Akut Bedor, for 40 years, I struggled with the generation of Omar Amtoy Levovain. Doesn't say that they're bad people. Their hearts are not in the right place. They have no enthusiasm for it. They don't really want it. They didn't understand me, God said. They didn't see what's going on. Therefore, they couldn't come to Eretz We had to have a later generation that was not as great, that did not stand at Sinai. But they'll come because they have an enthusiasm. And we'll see that played out. When they go to Bnei Ruben and say, oh, early, we want this and this piece. And Bnei Menashe come and conquer. And they defeat Sichon and Og. There's a different spirit. So the Torah wants us to uh, not only know that, but to apply that to how we think as well. And in so doing, we can avoid uh, making these types of errors over and over again in history and in community. And how to view things in a positive manner, in an enthusiastic manner. That's what Kolev and Yoshua said. Although Nale, we're going to do it. What are you talking about? What do you say we can't do it? Although Nale, come, we'll do it. So that's the spark of enthusiasm that unites the Jewish people in Torah and in Eretz Israel. Have a Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you for coming. Stay well. Shabbat Shalom.